I'm Sherry Greco-Rikus, co-founder of Rappaport Rikus Capital Management. Welcome to the Maximize Your Return on Life podcast. As an investment advisor, I guide clients to reflect upon their core values as they make major life decisions. I will be interviewing real people with real stories who have embraced this approach to achieve success. I hope their stories will inspire you to maximize your return on life. Today, I'm talking with Tara May. If you've listened to my other podcasts, you'll notice that most of my guests have been personal friends, people I've known from high school, college, or work. But today's a little different. I've only met Tara once in person, and I've met her through my partner, Dave Rappaport, who was board chair and very active in a nonprofit called Aspiritech. Dave told me that they hit a home run when they hired Tara as CEO of Asperitech. I'm sure you will see why throughout this podcast. Asperitech is a nonprofit that currently employs more than 100 adults on the autism spectrum to provide software testing and quality assurance services to corporate clients. Well, that's a bit of a mouthful, and I know Tara will break this down for us on the podcast. But Tara was not always a nonprofit CEO. She spent a majority of her career in corporate America and most recently was executive vice president of media and chief digital officer for Winsight and the National Restaurant Association show. She led a team to an unprecedented 350% growth. I'm sure a lot of you have thought through your life about pivoting from corporate America to the nonprofit world. Today, Tara is going to share her journey from corporate America to the nonprofit world, especially Asperitech. She's going to share the mission of Asperitech. She also has this unbelievable philosophy she shared with me called ROI of kindness. Who does not want that? And she's going to share with us how she maximizes her return on life. So with all my guests, uh, they send pictures. And the first thing I noticed, and maybe we'll start with this, uh, Tara can tell us a little bit about her family. She has six children. I had to look at it twice and count them to see what it was. So Tara, tell us a little bit about your family. But then really what we're here for today is I'd love to hear about your journey to a spirit tech. So it's. Up to you now, Tara. Thanks, Sherry. So that's a pretty typical reaction I get to the gasp when they see or hear about the six children. Um, but we're actually a, the Brady Bunch. So we're a blended family. Uh, I gave birth to four and uh, brought two in via marriage, three boys, three girls, and I call it happy chaos. Um, it's a wonderful thing to get to be a mom of six, even though it sounds a little scary. And relevant to today's conversations, my youngest son is on the autism spectrum, and he is part of the reason I'm so passionate about what a spirit tech does. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, a lot of us through my book and my Maximize Your Return on Life book, if you're a new listener, it's all about maximize your return on life and investing your time and money and what values most. And it sounds like this is a core value of yours, family and empowering the family. So let's bring us back. Um, tell us a little about your life in corporate America and how you pivoted over to a spare tech. 
Sure. Well, I'll start with where my career began, uh, but I'll be quick about it. My career began in journalism. So my degree is from Michigan State University in journalism. I took my first job out of college at the Roswell Daily Record. I packed up my little Ford Escort, drove to New Mexico, and was a crime reporter uh, covering gangs and drugs and killings uh, for the first year of my career. But this was all happening when newspapers were going through a major shift, right? They were essentially dying and having to become digital companies. So as my career evolved, um, I went on to work at the Chicago Sun-Times and the Chicago Tribune and help them move from a print product to a digital product. And I quickly realized that there was a gap in digital innovation and understanding of technology in executives. So my career took me to help fill that gap. And I began building digital products, um, overseeing user experience, big explosive audience growth in the revenue um, capacity, and helping companies learn how to do a digital transformation. So those big cultural transformations are sort of the space I lived in. At some point in my career, um, I would say just about a year ago, I was feeling a little bit of emptiness because I was having huge success in scaling and building companies and building new products and going through digital transformation. But I felt like at the end of every year, when I was looking back on what I did, you know, helping beat our revenue goal by $2 million, uh, felt a little empty to me. And I wanted to take my talent and what I brought to the corporate world and do something I really, really believed in. It was funny because I'm a member of Chief. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's a, a networking group for executive women. And we were going through this exercise where we had to describe our dream job. What would you do if you had all the resources in the world? And I said, well, I'd be a CEO because I love to be in charge, but I would do it for an organization that advocates for neurodiversity and a better workplace for all people. And it was not but two weeks later that I learned of the Aspiratech search for a CEO. And it felt like it was meant to be, like I had stumbled across a listing that had come out of my mouth two weeks ago. So that that was my journey from journalism to corporate America to now CEO in, in the nonprofit world. So that's that's a well, I'm I'm kind of seeing a theme here that you're pretty good at pivoting. So you went from paper and print to digital, and now you're going corporate America to nonprofit. But there had to be a lot of decision points. I'm sure you had to discuss it with your husband. So can you kind of walk us through because you don't wake up one day and see this ad and say, I'm going to go for it. You know, you have to look at a lot of different factors. So what were some of the factors that you looked at? So I've taken those big leaps in my career several times, right? Uh, the first one was when the Chicago Tribune asked me to help launch a digital product. I had no idea what I was doing. I had never launched a digital product before. And I just said yes. When AOL came to me, I was recruited over to launch a national digital product. I was 28 years old. I had never been a manager before. And they wanted me to manage a team of 20 people and a seven-figure budget. And I just said yes. I've always, you know, I grew up with parents who had a lot of faith in me. Uh, we were very 
very poor, frankly. And they taught me that there was not a room I didn't deserve to be in. And so I've always, you know, had that faith in myself that led me to be able to take those big leaps, even though they're terrifying. And so it never bothered me. I always felt like I can do this. I can take anything on. And as I did it more and more times, I got more and more confidence about that, right? I can handle anything that comes my way. And so I would take those leaps. I would teach my team how to take those leaps and how to be a part of a culture where people lift each other up, where we're not afraid to fail because we all know we're going to be there for each other. And teaching companies to do that and have that sort of faith that I was brought up with um, has helped me be incredibly successful. And it was the same faith that allowed me to take that leap into being CEO of a very unique, very special organization. And I'll tell you, Sherry, there were days in the first few weeks where I was terrified because the weight of the responsibility of, of taking care of this this incredible organization felt very heavy to me, um, but I just believed I could do it. And I believe in the potential and what's in front of us and what our team members can do. So here we are, we're just doing it on a day-to-day basis. And I hear you're doing it unbelievably, but um, can we can we talk a little bit more detail because corporate America, you have a boss, maybe a board of directors, but a nonprofit, because I've been involved in a nonprofit, you have a revolving door of directors, you have different chair that you report to. Um, It's a different type of work. So what have been some of the surprises, some of the challenges and some of the things that are unbelievable that you never thought about? So unpack that if you can. (laughs) That's a lot to unpack. My goodness. Uh, So yes, certainly working with a board of directors was new to me. And I was honest um, with that to the board up front from the beginning, right? Working for a nonprofit was going to be a learning curve for me. But what I have found is the board is incredibly supportive. They want you to succeed, right? Because then the organization succeeds. So when you're surrounded with people who want you to be successful, That's powerful. That's incredible. So yes, is it new to me to have um, 15 plus bosses all with different personalities and opinions? Absolutely. But when they're your cheerleaders, that works out okay. I will share with you that the biggest surprise to me, so just to to tell your audience a little bit, uh, Aspiratech, like you said, is a tech services organization. And 90% plus of our team members are on the autism spectrum. And I worried a little bit about that, not from their perspective, but from mine, right? Would I be equipped? Would I have the the skills and the talents I needed to to lead a group of autistic people when I had only previously led groups of neurotypical people? And what I found incredibly fantastic about the Aspiratech team was how much they were willing to teach me how to be their leader, which is an incredible thing to say, right? They're teaching me how to be their leader, but they did. And they've been so gracious and patient with me as I figure out what that needs to look like and how I can best work with them. And I view leadership as a service. I'm 
serving the people I lead. I'm helping support them. I'm helping move obstacles out of their way. And I quickly learned that that's really not different um, in this setting than it was in the corporate world. Uh, these team members are incredible leaders. They're incredibly passionate about their work. They're dedicated to what they do. They're advocates of each other. And if I can help lift them up and create a culture where I'm supporting them, I'm moving obstacles out of their way, and I'm teaching them what I know about transformation and moving and scaling a business, and they're teaching me about what it means to be neurodivergent and what they need in the workplace, that's a really powerful combination. And what gave you the confidence to go into the nonprofit world? Uh, have you been on other boards? I see there's all these nonprofit certifications you can get and things like that. Uh, so for people that are listening who are thinking of maybe pivoting, what skills do you think people need and what gave you the confidence? So the first thing I did when I was prepping for my interview at Aspiratech, because I wanted this job, right? I wanted to kill it at the interview and I wanted them to believe I was the person to do this. I called up a friend who had um, been executive director in several different roles. And I said, what are the skills you know, you need to be a good nonprofit person that might be different from the for-profit space? And she talked a lot about being able to articulate the mission. And she talked a lot about relationship building. And to me, those were incredibly transferable from corporate America, right? I mean, so much of what we do in corporate America is shape a narrative for our brand, for our team, for our organization. And when you have an incredible mission, like a Spiritex and like many, many nonprofits, and you believe genuinely in what they're doing, crafting a narrative and advocating for the mission is a piece of cake compared to branding for for-profit things, right? especially. Um, and then relationship building is something we do day in and, and day out in corporate America, right? Whether it's with clients or with team members or with partners or whatever it might be. Often we are in it for the long haul with relationships. We want them to be long-term. We want them to be valued partnerships. So that was a really transferable skill as well. So to me, it was really about being open to learning and taking advice from the people who knew what it was like to navigate this space. And I do that every single day. I'm still learning. But it's also believing that you know your skills are transferable, and they absolutely are. And I would say needed in the in the nonprofit space. You know, a lot of nonprofits could use skills like digital marketing, like um, a deep understanding of P and Ls, of management and org structure. These are really valuable and would help nonprofits grow and scale. So, if you're thinking about it, know number one that you can do it. But number two, and probably more importantly, that it's really needed. Yeah, and I, I think some people are intimidated, but I love to hear you say that. And I've seen a lot of other success stories, accountants going in nonprofit. I mean, it's those are skills, but you can't teach relationship and enthusiasm. And you have both. Uh, that's something you can't get an MBA in. So, um, you know, through the years, I think probably all of our listeners have a family or a friend or a cousin or know someone on the autism spectrum. And I've learned a lot from Dave about what a spare tech does, but it it's unbelievable. So can you tell us what 
the young adults are doing, what is um, their jobs, how they find you. And I know I give you a lot of questions at once, but you're up for it and go for it. So let's talk about Asperitech. So a lot of adults find out about Aspiratech just through word of mouth and through the internet. I know that sounds really simple, but um, autistic adults who are, are looking for work or struggling to find work in some cases, and I've heard many of those stories, um, find us via Google or someone who knows about us, who heard about us from XYZ, you know, the phone line as it might be. And one of the unique things about us we're incredibly unique. So there's a, a whole host of unique things. But one of them is that we are part business, part mission, and part training academy. So we will bring people on with no technical experience or knowledge and no formal education requirements. And we will teach them about the work that we do, quality assurance, data services, and accessibility testing. And we will teach them the specific projects that they might be on. Tara, when you said no education, do they have to have a college degree or is a high school degree? Okay. Just to be clear, many of our team members do have college degrees, but it's not a requirement, right? We don't require that bachelor or associates, but we do have a lot of people who have them. Uh, but we will train the team member. So someone comes on board, they go through a two-week training academy, and they get on-the-job coaching to learn the project and the skill. So that's unique about us. Um, we do a host of tech services. So we do quality assurance, which means those headphones that you're wearing. We can test and make sure that they're connecting properly, that the Bluetooth works, that um, the sound quality is high. Uh, so we do testing equipment like that. Software, what we're using right now. So Zoom has to load, connect. It has an entire end-to-end -end user experience. We do testing for software, websites, apps, all of those sorts of things. We also do accessibility testing, which we're particularly passionate about because we think the web should be accessible to all people with disabilities. So whether you're visually impaired or deaf, we can make sure that the website you are launching, the software you are launching is compliant with legal standards, but also usable for all people with disabilities. That's actually, you know, there's a human case for that, right? That's something we should do. But there's also a business case for it. Uh, people with disabilities have more than a billion dollars in disposable income in the US alone. So you want your websites to work for them. Um, and then we do data services. And when I say data services, it's almost easier to talk about what we can't do than what we can do. Anything to do with um, migrating data, editing data, normalizing data. Um, we work with clients, whatever their data pain points might be, and we help alleviate them. And I'm really excited because the Spare Tech just came to my hometown, Evanston. And it's very exciting. I drive by and see it all the time, especially on my way to Pilates. But do they work in the Evanston location or are they working on location or where uh, do you do they work? So we do have two offices, like you said, one in Evanston and one in Highland Park. And we have team members that prefer to be on site that um, like the social engagement or like the privacy or the atmosphere of the office. And then we have team members who prefer to work from home, either because their commute is long and painful and expensive, or they don't drive, or they're just 
better able to focus and take care of their mental health at home. So our philosophy and, and mine in particular is that people should work where they're able to be the happiest and the most productive. And so we really allow a lot of flexibility for our team members. Now that said, some clients require us to be on site. And for those clients, we, we absolutely have people on site to do the project work for them. And what's the minimum age? I, I believe it's just 21. 21? Yes. Okay. So if someone does have a family member or friend that's interested, can you tell them about your, we're going to put it on our website, but let them know about the website and what the process would be if they're interested in working for Aspiratech. Yeah, absolutely. You'll be able to click on the link that Sherry gives you, but aspiratech.org will tell you how to apply. We do offer positions for all adults on a rolling basis. And then we let you know when there are openings and project work that you can come do. And we also offer uh, an internship program. So for students, um, both high school and college, who might be interested in learning, um, it's a six-week program. So great options for our autistic students and adults. And what are some of the companies that you do work for? Oh gosh, now I'm doing a quick run through in my head to make sure I'm not breaking NDAs. But one of our <laughs> biggest partners- Okay, if you don't need, if it's okay, if you don't need- No, it. no, I'll, I'll name a few who I know are okay with it. Um, Bose is one of our biggest partners. So Bose who makes speakers and headphones, you know them well. Um, we work for financial institutions like Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan Chase. Um, we work for pharmaceutical companies like Abbott and Astellas. Uh, we work for Aon. Uh, so big names that you've heard of fortune 500 companies, as well as small organizations and nonprofits, we run the gamut. We have uh, about 50 partners at this point. Wow. That is really, really amazing. And so inspirational. And I really hope our listeners, if you know someone, um, I share a wall with Dave at the office. I hear all the great things. And Tara is an unbelievable leader of this organization. So I hope that you will spread the word and tell people about it because it, it's it's just, just amazing. Before we go into your ROI of kindness, I'd like to spend a few minutes on that. Is there a few success stories you can share with us of some people that came to you and and really what happened after they joined Asparatech? Sure. And I'll do this anonymously, right? Because I want to protect people's privacy. But the first thing I did when I came into Aspiratech was uh, something called a listening tour. You've probably heard of it, right? Uh, so I came in as CEO. And a lot of times on a day-to-day -day basis, you don't get to talk to everyone at every level, right? So I really wanted to get a feel for the organization. So I spent 30 minutes with every single employee of Aspiratech to listen to them. And I asked the same standard set of questions. What do you love? What could we do better? How did you get here? How long have you been here? And I got to hear so many tremendous stories. And, and to your point, um, Sherry, really powerful, meaningful success stories. Um, one person told me, and I, I wrote down this quote and I will never forget it. I never in my life found a place I fit in until I got to a Spiritech. I heard people say that they were at the end of their rope financially, that they were no longer sure that they could take care of themselves independently. And a Spiritech was the job that rescued them, that didn't take them to their last straw. Yeah, we're we're both tearing up here as she as she says this. It's I wish you could see it. it it's really, really go on, tear up. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's exactly right. And I I do tear up. And I I did when I walked in for the first time. 
you know, we have one person who shared, you know, he had a very late in life diagnosis and um, had a, a very horrible high school experience before people really understood what autism was and was actually you know, put in a mental institution for several months of his life. And now he has a community and autistic roommates, and he's very open about how difficult it was for him growing up in a time before we really talked about this, right? So these stories are just incredibly powerful, and, and there are a million I could share. I will say just one of, of my own. Um, as a mom of a child with special needs, you spend so much time worrying about and wondering what their adulthood is going to look like. You know, to walk into a place like a spirit tech the first time I visited and see a hundred plus people thriving in the workplace, meaningfully contributing and building their career, being incredible leaders, building and scaling a $6 million business and having a true community with each other it moved me to the point where I think I cried for two hours when I got home that night and I'm not usually a crier. It's, it's really something incredible. Thank you for sharing that. I'm still processing it all, but, but one thing you mentioned that it's not just a job, it's a community. And so they, I'm sure they're mentored and, and it's, it's a place where they can really be themselves and, not just work, but have a community. So it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. How many places in the world can you come and be exactly who you are? And we need that. We all need that. And again, um, just to reiterate, you know, you found this because you went deep into your values and your passion. And I hope our listeners can take that away wherever you are in your career. Sometimes you just need to take a step back, look in. And I love what you said, you know, what is my perfect job or my perfect day and make that list. And who knows, maybe a week later, a job description will come up exactly like it happened for Tara. So, so let's shift gears a little bit. If you could tell me a little bit about this philosophy, ROI of kindness and how you, I don't know if you came up with it or what happened. Tell us about that. I will tell you, I did come up with it and you can tell by how cheesy it is because I'm the cheesiest person in the world. Um, but no, it's it's really this leadership philosophy that I've evolved over the years, right? So when I come into an organization, I'm generally coming in to change things, right? I'm coming in as a leader, particularly at these media companies, uh, they needed to not just shift or pivot, but massively overhaul their entire business model and the way they had done things. And I was often coming in to work with journalists. And journalists are brilliant, stubborn people. <laughs> I can say that because I'm one of them. And so I would be tasked with teaching an entire organization how to transform. But in order to do that, you have to convince them that they want to transform. It can't just be top down. It can't just be something you're telling them to do. And so I would come in and really try to understand what drives people, what motivates them, how to support them, how to move obstacles out of their way so that they can transform. I often would joke actually, you know, you've probably heard people talk about love languages, but I say people usually have a work love language too, right? Whether that's information or praise or whatever it might be. 
So in teaching people how to transform um, and convincing them that they wanted to transform, I quickly became convinced that a hard line, tell people what to do approach was not the way. That if you really want to inspire innovation and growth from every level of the organization, you need to create a culture where people are lifting each other up and where they feel safe to bring their ideas forward and to push them forward. And when you're doing a lot of innovation and moving at the pace of digital, that means you're also going to make mistakes, quite a few of them, as you go. The pace of digital is very, very fast. The pace of innovation is very, very fast. So people need to feel safe in making mistakes. They need to feel safe in speaking up when they make a mistake and that we're going to think about how to fix it moving forward rather than point blame at each other. Then they're going to innovate and move the organization forward because you believe that they can. And you need to be telling them that every day. And so when team members feel safe in that psychological space, they're going to innovate, they're going to grow, and revenue will grow with it. If you want revenue to grow and you want business transformation, then you need to be creating that culture of kindness in your workplace. It will have ROI, right? I read a statistic um, from Harvard Business Review that said unhappy, disengaged workers cost the U.S. economy $1 trillion in productivity every year. Well, that is a crap ton of money, right? And so how do you have happy and engaged workers instead of unhappy and disengaged workers? Well, you show them that you care about them. You understand that they're humans. You understand that they're humans 24 hours a day, including in the workplace, and you lift them up. And that is when people will do their best and they will innovate for your company. They will help your company grow. It will translate to how they treat customers. It will translate to how they treat partners. It will translate to how they treat coworkers. And it will be the driving force for growth and innovation in your organization. Yeah, I, I love that. And I, it, it brings me back to this 1992 movie called Glengarry <laughs> Glen Ross. I don't know if anyone remembers that, but I, I remember seeing a snippet of it where they're all in the conference room and they said the number one producer is getting steak knives and the two on the bottom are fired and that can't be good. So I think ROI of kindness is hopefully if you are running a company and you're listening to the podcast, you're going to go with that method versus this Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross method, because I, I think that was the 90s. We are now in a much better place in the world. So Tara, how do you maximize your return on life? So I've been thinking about this question ever since you asked it, and it's a complicated question. Um, but I think there are the obvious things, right? I shared with you that I'm an avid Pelotoner. I love Orange Theory. I love to run. I love to- Wait, stop right there, because I do Peloton, and I'm sure listen, who are your favorite Peloton classes that you like? Just a couple. I mean, Cody. Cody, yeah, I, I, I do, yeah. I mean, every day, right? <laughs> um, I love Kendall too. There isn't a class I take usually that I don't like, but I go to Alex a lot because he, okay. he really pushes me and challenges me and it gets me in that sort of motivated mindset. And then, oh, shoot, I'm forgetting her name. Who's the little tiny one that always does the climbs and they're the hardest thing in the world? I can't remember. But anyway, we're adding value here, not just 
on your professional or philanthropic, but also on your exercise, which is important. So continue, Tara. <laughs> yes. So, so I love that. You know, I try to find joy and gratitude in all the things that I do. I love every moment with my children, even though they're becoming teenagers and getting very close to leaving me. Uh, my husband is my best friend. So I'm really, you know, grateful every day that we get to spend our lives together. I wake up every morning and work doesn't feel like work to me. It feels like something I get to do. Um, I get to fight for something I believe in and try to make the world a better place. I love my dog more than anything in the world. So I'm just, I'm, I'm generally a joyful person and I look around every day at what I'm grateful for and that helps me live my best life. That's great. That's great. And I have the same philosophy because people say, you know, you've been doing this so long. You've been a financial advisor, but I, I don't feel like it's work. I feel like every day is a new day. It's a new market, unfortunately, <laughs> or fortunately, but it's also um, meeting new people and new experiences and hopefully helping people along the way. So Tara, I want to thank you so much for being on this podcast. I, you and I have to have a glass of wine. I think we would go out and have a great time together. And, you know, Dave and I have worked together now. Almost, we're going on our 17th year and we often challenge ourselves. So one thing that Dave said that you were a home run when a spare tech hired you and I have to, Dave, if you're listening, you know, I always challenge you. I have to disagree. Tara wasn't a home run. I think she was a grand slam. So Dave, um, I'm challenging you on this one grand slam, but I hope that if you're considering uh, pivoting from corporate America to nonprofit, you've learned a little bit today and you can see how excited Tara is with this move. And please don't be intimidated. A lot of your skills are transferable and would really benefit very many, uh, most, in fact, all nonprofits. But if you would like to learn how you can maximize the return on your life, please visit our website, rrcapital.com. That's Rapport Rikus Capital Management. I also have my own website, sherrygrecorikus.com. And we'd love to talk to you to see how we can maximize your return on life. So thank you, Tara. And I look forward to seeing you and, and really growing our friendship over the years. Thanks. Thank you, Sherry.